Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Last night was just one holy bleep moment after another. In fact, what last night was, was holy bleep moments one after another, but followed by five minutes of the refs staring at a review monitor and then another holy bleep moment. And I'll get to the refs in a second, but why don't we start with the good stuff? Let me start with the positive, like the fact that Cameron Payne is having the playoffs of his lifetime. We're talking about a guy who was waived by the Bulls, released by the Raptors, and the Cavs let him walk after a 10-dayer. Last night, that same guy puts up 29 points and has nine dimes in the conference finals. I mean, dang, what a time to be alive, right? He wasn't even the biggest star of the game because the final two minutes of that game were some of the best ever. Some of the best ever, but some of the worst ever as well. Kind of hard to have the best thing ever and the worst thing ever at the same time, but that's what we got last night. Some of the best things ever and some of the worst. The best thing because the players were out of their damn minds. The worst thing because the refs kept jumping in and jacking it all up. Why don't we start with Payne? Driving to the hoop with a one-point lead and 40 seconds to go. Shot clock at six, Payne gets inside. Layup blocked by Zubox. George comes the other way. Here comes Paul George, gets inside. Layup, he banks it home. And the Clippers take the lead. Timeout, Phoenix. Like a perfect play at both ends by the Clippers. You had a textbook block into a fast break and the finish to give them the lead. And at that moment, you're actually thinking, you know what? It's finally all getting to Phoenix. They might be choking this one away. This is that one time when they do need Chris Paul to settle everybody down. But of course, he's in COVID protocol. It looks like maybe they're finally going to crack. But then the Suns come right back. And they get the ball to Devin Booker. Payne waiting, looking, gets it out to Devin Booker. Beverly there, Booker on the drive, 17-footer, good. He hit the shot. 27 seconds left, and now it'll be a timeout Clippers. Suns radio. Yeah, because, of course, that guy was going to drain that. Man, so smooth. Don't tell me the mid-range game is dead. It's dead for guys who can't hit a jumper like that from the elbow. But for Booker, it's always there. Always there, all day long. Phoenix, back up by one. But Paul George gets nice. Skating off the floor to downside along with the Clippers. There'll be no shot blocking at the rim. George, jumper. Got him! Paul George drills another. Like, I don't even know this cat anymore. Now you're thinking, this dude is officially buried. The pandemic P nickname. He really is living up to the worst self-gloss ever. Playoff P. He's got the team on his back. He's going to carry them to a win. And to that, I would say, eh, let's let's not get into that just yet. Because we still have more left in the game. Like we've got Patrick Beverly getting up on Devin Booker and knocking the ball out of bounds. But it was still Sun's ball, right? Or was it? The moment the ball went out of bounds, Pat Bev called for a review. And even though a ref was standing right there next to the play, they went to review. And then they stayed in review for like an hour. Then it was overturned and awarded to the Clippers. And holy crap. What a huge overturn that is in that situation. And by the way, not a good one. 
I'm not sure if the result was good, but I know the process was garbage. It always is. You can't take that much time in that situation to go frame by frame on a play like that. Patrick Beverly initiated the ball going out of bounds. I mean, yeah, there might be a split second where the ball appears to still be in contact with Booker's hand after Beverly hit it, but that's not the point of the review. Frame-by-frame replays are not the point of the review. The game is not meant to be played in slow motion or officiated in slow motion. And if you're going to overturn a call like that, with less than 10 seconds to go in a one-point game where the ref was standing inches away from the play, you better have stone-cold evidence that you're right. And they didn't. And I know this, too. No matter what that review decision is, the review can't take as long as it did. Period. I mean, that part is just so brutal. It defeats the purpose. That can't happen in that situation because what it does is it sucks the life out of the building. It sucks the life out of the game. So the Clippers have the ball. Up one. It's inbounded to Paul George. He gets fouled. You hit two free throws. You play a little D. You get the hell out of town with the split. And you rip the home court in the process. No problem, right? Not with the self-glossed playoff P at the stripe. No problem. This guy is a bona fide lock. He's ice cold from the line. Oh, excuse me. me. My My bad. bad. My bad. I called it wrong. Yeah, maybe not ice cold at the the line because this was his first free throw. Huge free throws here for Paul George. And that's critical because now if he... It's the second one. Suns only needed two to tie it. George, who's hit some big buckets down the stretch. Missing that free throw. He's got one more. Yeah, uh, that'll happen, I guess. But the moment he bricked that, you knew the take machines were starting to crank up. You could hear like a million crank machines whirring to life. Crank, 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 crank. But still. Still, I mean, how he missed that, I don't know. But still, if you hit this one, you're still putting pressure on Phoenix to make a bucket to tie or to win. Just knock in your second free throw. Crowder and Aiton along the free throw line to make sure they secure it if he misses another. Missed another, and they call timeout. Paul George misses a pair, and the Suns with a chance to win it with 7.8 remaining. Wow. Uh Uh-oh. Pandemic P in the house. Make both free throws. All Phoenix can do is tie. Make one. They're still in a tough spot. Miss them both, and you better hope like hell that Phoenix does not score because you are never going to live that down. You will never hear the end of it. And I'm not even here to clown Pandemic P. I mean, dude is trying his best, I guess. At this point, it's like it's not even funny anymore. It's actually kind of sad. Like, I feel badly for this guy because just when he's about to drag his team to another huge win and bury that narrative that is Pandemic P, he bricks two free throws in the final 10 seconds. I mean, it is brutal. I know he's just doing it to himself, but that's not just bad. That's like Shakespearean bad. It's not just the two he missed in that moment either. It's the five that he missed over the course of the game. This guy was five for ten from the line. 
I'm not going to say the pressure got to him, but he's a career 85% shooter from the line. So you know what? Actually, well, I will say the pressure got to him. Can't deal with the pressure, P. How the hell else do you explain a guy who shoots 85% from the line shooting 50% in a must-win game? And yes, it was a must-win game for the Clippers. I said as much right here yesterday, hours before that tip. That was a must-win game for the Clippers. And no, I don't care that they've already come back from two 0-2 deficits this postseason. This is different. This was a must-win game. And even worse, they had already won the game, or seemingly so. And no, Pandemic P is not going to live down missing those two free throws in that situation. Man, my man looked like Ben Simmons on those two free throws. In fact, I'm not even sure that's fair to Ben Simmons. So, the Suns get an open look for a three to win it. But they miss, but they get the ball back on the inbounds. And as the refs were reviewing it, yet again... Monty Williams said this to DeAndre Ayton. Our ball. Okay, execute it. The eight. If he throws it, you got to like try to dunk it, okay? So that was the play, right? Jay Crowder inbounding. If he throws it, you got to dunk it. Roll it, Alvy. Roll the hell out of it. Crowder waiting with it. Lobs it underneath. Yes! It's good. DeAndre Ayton scores the basket over the rim and in. DeAndre Ayton put it over them and in. The players are out on the floor. The final score has not been put up yet. Wow. DeAndre Ayton, if you need him. I mean, I literally got up off the couch myself when I saw that happen. And I've got nothing to do with either one of these teams. I don't care. I don't care who wins. I don't care who loses. But holy bleep, that was incredible. What a perfect play. Perfectly designed from Monty Williams. Because as true Suns fans know, from the Tyson Chandler days, you cannot commit goaltending on an inbound play. And then you've got this perfect pass from Jay Crowder and do not sleep on that screen from Devin Booker. He and his busted up face got right into that screen to free up Aiton for the alley-oop that's now been glossed the valley-oop. Hell. But you know what would make that even better? Do you know what would make a near-perfect play even better? If Scott freaking Foster spent a half hour reviewing it and then trying to figure out who was allowed on the court for the final .7 seconds as the Clippers tried a desperation heave. Scott Foster was studying that review and working with the scorer's table like they were trying to translate the Dead Sea Scrolls. My man, pick up the pace while we're young, while we're still alive. Man, you know somewhere Chris Paul was probably losing his mind that Foster was going to find a way to rip this win from him. But somebody's got to stop the refs. You cannot be reviewing every single play and taking so long on every single review. Check this out. StatMuse Twitter account, quote, The last 90 seconds of the game took 33 real-time minutes. There were as many reviews... Five as field goals, five in that span. Like, that's not okay. In fact, that's horrible. That's how you ruin a tremendous game because that was an amazing game. That game was so good that it was able to overpower Scott Foster and still be good. Can you run that play one more time just to get the taste out of those reviews, of those reviews, out my mouth? Cousins waving his arms. Not an easy inbound with that big body in front of you. 
Crowder looking, throws it. Alley. Oh! Aiden puts it down. He puts it down. It's over. That's the right outcome, especially after that overturned out of bounds call. To quote the great Rashid Wallace, ball don't lie. Ball don't lie. To quote him again, both teams play hard. God bless. Good night. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard, my man. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. God bless and good night. That's it, Sheed. God bless and good night. Both teams play hard. You know, in the last 90 seconds of that game, the last 90 seconds of that game, I could have picked up Jake from LAX, gotten his luggage from the baggage carousel, grabbed some in and out, and still made it home in time to watch the Aiton dunk. My vacation thinks that that game ended in a timely fashion, which, by the way, starts at precisely 12.01 p.m. Friday after the smack-off. Man, they did their damnedest to wreck that game, didn't they? Hey, let me ask you something. Can your office chair give you a massage while you're sitting at your desk? Mine can. Can your office chair warm your back on cold mornings or cool you off on hot days? Mine can. That's because I don't have any old no-name office chair. I have an X chair, and I absolutely love it. The secret is their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back and now introducing LMAX. The secret is their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers incredible lumbar support to your lower back and now introducing LMAX. Featuring cooling, heat, and massage therapy. It is incredible. And LMAX offers four different massage modes and fast warming heat technology for therapy for your sore back. You will not believe the X-Chair difference until you feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. It is time to trade in your old, uncomfortable office chair and trade up to an X-Chair. X-Chair prices are going up on July 11th for the first time in two years, so beat the price increase. Go to xchairrome.com. That's the letter X, chairrome.com. Or call 1-844-4X-Chair and save $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com now and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairrome.com. The emails and the tweets. This is a long-form beef. Normally, we don't do that. Rome, my beef is with how easy these soft kids have it these days. Back when I was growing up, if I wanted to smoke something, I'd have to steal filterless marb red cowboy killers from my mom's pack and if i wanted to drink something i'd have to lift a schlitz from my old man's garage fridge both tasted like hell but damn it that's part of earning it smoking cigarettes and drinking beer is an all-american privilege it's a rite of passage you smoke a real cig you cough and you puke until you like it then you pound a real brew you gag and revolt until it tastes good Nowadays, these little twerps are smoking candy-flavored vape pens 
They're drinking mixed berry white claws. It's deplorable, Rome. These are the kids we're raising today. Getting buzzed is not supposed to taste like a trip to the Skittles factory. Taste the tobacco, not the rainbow. You teenagers, today, you disgust me. Here's my message to today's 13, 14, and 15-year-olds. Grow the hell up and smoke cigarettes and drink beer. Freaking earn it, you sorry excuse for a generation. Take that rechargeable robot candy out of your mouth and put down that feminine slim can of sugar. Grab a camel and a Bud Heavy and have a childhood worth telling your future kids about. Amos and Branson. Hell yes, Amos. Memo to you kids. If you're going to smoke, smoke Marlboro's. What, non-filter camels didn't want any of that? Menthol greens didn't want any of that. Listen to that old man, just bring in the heat. And even worse, I, I tend to agree with some of it. Got a boy, Amos. Jim, my beef is with the men's room. Why are there several urinals for big and tall men and only one in the far corner for us regular-sized men? Signed, Cowan Vegas. War Caleb ripping the title this year. Garrett in Utah no longer participating on Twitter. Jacob in NorCal is in. My beef is with these fools complaining about the reviews and length of the last few minutes of the Suns-Clippers game. The longer the game, the more beer to drink. I don't know, man. Can't you drink beer without the game? Ryan in Sacktown. Jimmy, my beef is with every clone who emails, shut it down! After the first call of the smack-off. Rare is the person who can go wire to wire. I don't foresee that happening. So nobody should be shutting anything down after the first call. All right, let's go to the phones. Like I said, social was short. Let's go to Stillwater. Bergy. Good to have you, Bergy, with your beef. Jim, my beef is with fake silk. I mean, I'm wandering around the house now, the supermarket work. I'm wandering around all day long just saying, come on. <laughs> and I want to war uh, Kathleen getting a golden ticket. Thanks, Rome. I'm out. All right. Come on. So he wants to watch your beef, the fake silk, because now he's wandering around all day, everywhere he goes, saying, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's go to San Francisco. Phil in San Francisco. Yo, Phil, come on. What's up, Phil? Come on. Yo, Rome, my beef is the neighbor. You know that dude you talked about, the guy I see you washing your car and says, you would do my next, that dude? I got COVID edition for you. So what's COVID? I'm working from home, homeschooling, no bars, no restaurants, no hanging out with buddies. So, yeah, happy hour starts early every day. So when the recycling comes, recycling truck comes to pick up my bin, Sounds like 7.0 earthquake hit Bevmo. I get it. But this bag, now the neighbor, whenever he hears it, he always has to drop a, sounds like somebody at a party last night. How come I wasn't invited? It's like, dude, I want to punch you in the devils right now. Stop talking, man. The neighbor. All right, Paul. I got you. Or Phil, my bad. 
Th- that's part of being the neighbor. He will always have something to say. That's why he's the neighbor. One, and by the way, that, that guy is always the bag who leaves his cans out on the street, man. Bring him in. 1-800-636-8686. It is a beef segment. It's a call-heavy beef segment. Let's go to Humboldt. Anthony. Anthony, what's your beef? What's up, Bobby Rome? Hey, shout out to my boys up here at Schmidt Bauer Building Supply in Humboldt. Right quick. And my beef, Rummy Rome. My beef is with Paul George. He's like that public toilet that you go to the county park or the bathroom down there. I'm from Ventura County, so down there, LA or Ventura County, it's got no rim. It's just a stainless steel toilet. You're, you got to play the cards you're dealt. You're stuck with what you're dealt. He rims out all day, every day. Oh, my goodness gracious. Paul George, help me please. Lord, help me please. Love you, Rome. I'm flaming. I'm out. <laughs> Anthony, talking about that steel toilet, but you've got to play the cards you're dealt. I get it. Let's keep moving. This time we go to Johnny Scabs in Detroit. I know Scabs has beef. He's got scabs and he's got beef. Johnny, what's up? Hey, Jimmy, my beef is with having to miss the SoCal after party on Friday. I expected to see Brad and Reggie roll up on the same motorcycle, only to have Reggie step off first and reveal Brad's shirt that says, if you can read this, the bitch fell off. Late. <laughs> 1-800-636-8686. What is your beef? Banging telephone calls. Margo in Buffalo. Margo, hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, Jim, my beef is for not putting the keep out sign on the door for CJ. On Friday, you closed the show stating he'd be listening instead of participating. Have you forgotten the junk smack that moron used when he took an aim at you by getting to the front door of your home, getting past Jano to your pool, taking a dump? Please, Jim, put the... Ah! That's not a good call. No. You don't like that Margo. Call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. I ran you because you're confusing CJ... In San Francisco with James in Portland. You were taking a run at the wrong person. That's why I had to run you. Let's go to Deming. Ed. It's good to have you. Ed, what's your beef? Hey, Rome. My beef is with that telephone tough guy, Cal in Vegas. Romy, I know you're a big fan of Cal, but let's be honest. We all know this guy and are sick of his act. He's a guy who talks tough all night long. Yet at the end of the night, he's laying unconscious under a barroom table. And then the next day, he's still telling everybody how he won the fight. Cal, I'd rip off my own beard and make you eat it if I thought it would shut you up. But then again, I don't need any child abuse charges on my record. Out. Oh, man. Well done. Well done. And you're right. I do like Cal in Vegas. He makes me laugh. But that's a good phone call. Rack him. We do rack phone calls during the beef segment. Rack him. 1-800-636-8686. Not done yet. Let's go to Portland, Maine. John, good to have you. John, what's your beef? Jim, what's going on? Uh, my beef is with free sample guy. I'm a wine sales rep, and every day, at least 10 times, I get the guy, hey, you got any free samples? Out. I hear you. That's got to be pretty annoying. Free as me. Not me, but free as you. Free sample guy. You are running out of time, but we're not there yet. 
Why don't we try Melissa in West Virginia? Melissa, what's your beef? Hey, Jim. My beef is donating blood today, and I can't drink any caffeine. And yesterday, you were teasing me with that top button. It was almost out of that pink shirt, but not quite. That's my beef, too, is favorite TV sportscasters not undoing one or two buttons. Thank you. Have a good vacation. We'll miss you. Bye. Melissa, thirsty much. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like the world is throwing everything it has at you. And to succeed, you need someone to guide you through. That's what Dell Technologies advisors do. They have the tech advice to help you navigate whatever challenges you're up against and get you safely to where you want to be. For advice on solutions like XPS 13 laptops powered by Intel Evo platform, call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Two days out. I sincerely hope that you have stayed ready so you do not have to get ready. I did my part. Like I rigged the barge. I kicked it out to sea. All that's left for me now is to light that fuse on Friday morning. And you know me, I've got a box full of blue tips. I'm good to go. I'm ready to go. I could do this thing right now. The question is, are you ready? Let me set the stage with some of the storylines going into Smack Off 27 Friday so you know exactly what's at stake in 48 hours. Some of you are not fully engaged. Some of you don't even have the background. Let me help you out. Let me start right at the top with the most important storyline of them all. The fact that this beautiful event is now 27 installments old. Hey, sports pigs, it's feeding time with Jim Rome on Extra Sports 690. Great American smack-off competition. Let the games begin. I'm Jim Rome. Great to have you with us. The day you've all been waiting for, the great American smack-off. Right now, as I look at our screen, the callers look like this in no particular order. Doc Mike, Lance and LaCosta, Ross in Pacific Beach, David and Poway, and Raider Mike in Wichita Falls. I mean, it is a murderer's row. It's incredible. Today, the jungle's finest will go after the most coveted and respected honor in the jungle, the title of King of Smack. We are going to have our first annual Great American Smack Off. Can you feel me? The first annual Great American Smack Off, shortened to just the Smack Off. That's how that sounded 27 years ago. We all need to have an appreciation of the history of this thing because the Smack Off has been going off uninterrupted for nearly three decades. That simply does not happen in this industry. Hosts do not last that long. Shows do not last that long. Audience Audience interest does not last that long. Benchmarks sure as hell do not last that long, but the smack-off has stood the test of time. Same name, well, except when it was the great American smack-off. Same name, same concept, same format, same annual bloodshed. And Friday, everybody participating in Smack-Off 27 will be a part of the continuation of the biggest event in the genre. That's your top storyline. Right now, as a collective jungle, we are still weaving a thread that goes all the way back to 1995, which is amazing and important, should never, ever be forgotten. 
as for what's going to go down at the end of the week. Let me start right here. Brad in Corona, tied up in a couple of the biggest storylines. Friday, you've got his battle for all-time GOAT status with Shawnee, the Cowboy Asian. Then you've got something more on the micro, something more recent. The battle for generational GOAT status with Left and Laguna. Brad V. Sean is deadlocked at five smack-offs apiece. Sean won his without Brad around. Brad won his without Sean around. Yes, Shawnee was there in 2019 when Brad ripped number five. But that was Sean's first smack-off in 12 years. So you can understand where that might have been a case of a little bit of ring rust. You know, that was not exactly prime v prime shawnee's still in his prime but not necessarily his jungle smack off prime at least not that year right that's a long layoff however there is no debate that these are the two best callers of all time and of their time respectively right they both have five a win for either one of them would end the debate about all-time great it just would Getting a record-setting and tie-breaking sixth strap is the period at the end of the sentence. Full stop. Especially since they're going to have to go through each other to get it. This will be Shawnee's third straight comeback or a third straight smack-off. And you can no longer point to the ring rust. It's not there. He's back in it. But remember, it's not a head-to-head battle. Somewhere around 20 or 25 other callers are going to try to keep that debate on ice. Namely, Lef in Laguna, who has already cemented himself as the third best smack-off caller ever with three straps. All of them in the BIC era. So that's the second storyline that Brad is wrapped up in. The rivalry with Lef. And the fact that these two guys have evenly split each of the last six smack-offs. Yes, Brad has more overall. But as far as Lef is concerned, they're tied ever since the bully first showed up. You've been talking all month about history being made this year. We got our game seven, dude. It's 3-3 between Brad and I the last six years. And Jimmy, like Rick and Buffalo's five-speed hatchback and Brad and Corona's man purse, I'm absolutely clutch. So, if Lef wins on Friday and goes back-to-back for the second time in eight events, and he beats Brad for a fourth time, and he gets one more than the BIC in the time that they've been doing this together, where does that then leave left in the GOAT conversation? I mean, it's a fair question now, one that we have to all consider. Would that not make him the GOAT, given how many straps he might have in such a short period of time? So at the very top, you've got so much at stake for Brad and Lef and Sean. These guys have separated themselves from the rest of the jungle. They have separation, but not from each other. And a win for any of the three is going to definitively end multiple debates. That's the top of the field. Again, it's not only about them. The field this year is incredibly deep. Would anybody be surprised if the Champions Club let in its 15th member? I know I wouldn't. Caleb in Green Bay has been knocking on that door for years, nearly busted through in 2015 and 2019. Benny and Wisco, immensely talented and could have won last year when he came up just short and hit the podium. Came in third, right behind Leff and Brad. 
He's got that kind of game to be mentioned in that same sentence. Rick in Buffalo probably wins Smackoff 25 if not for this line right here delivered at the buzzer by the BIC. Rick in Buffalo is so ugly when he and his wife have sex, she has to close her eyes and pretend he's Tony Kornheiser. Benny, Caleb, and Rick have all run winning races. They just got beat by a better horse on that given day. It happens. But I'm telling you right now, I would not be at all shocked if one of them became the 15th champion ever in Smackoff history come Friday. Then you've got some past champs. They're always lurking. Strapped to the gills, holding C4, and donning brass knucks. Mark and Hollywood, Vic and NoCal, they both have it in them to beat anyone and everyone. They've done it before. They can do it again. Their best smack still plays around here. Their best might still be good enough to win. I'm not going to sleep on either one of these guys. And what would a second title mean to Broadway or Mark in Hollywood? Well, it would make them one of just seven ever to have multiple jackets. And even though it's not GOAT status, it is absolutely legend status. If you get multiple rings, you're a legend. Jeff from Richmond shocked the world last year with a brilliant fourth place call. He proved that he is the Mo Rivera of the jungle. It's the same pitch every single time. You know it's coming, and you still can't touch it or do a damn thing about it. Jim, it's been a tradition of mine now for several years to roll a couple fatties in celebration of the smack-off, Jim. So let me roll Big Daddy Beaks and Matt from L.A. out of the way, Jim. Rick from Buffalo. Little Richard from Buffalo. Let me be clear here, Jim. There's no bad blood between that cheap imitation Rick from Buffalo. Little tiny Richard from Buffalo and the dirtiest player in the game, Jeff from Richmond. Trevor Price weighed in on Rick from Buffalo, and he said, and I quote, Rick from Buffalo will have a long, successful run in the jungle. Wow. Then you've got Callan Vegas and Jeff and Southfield, a couple of the best smack runners in the jungle who are just as likely to win the damn thing as they are to finish off the board altogether. Like, who knows, right? The storyline with those guys, who the hell really knows? These guys are different. They're unique. When it lands, it lands hard. When it misses, it's an airplane right into the side of the mountain. Still too soon, Alvin. Still too soon. Trust me, Alvin. Trust this. When I tell you I am rooting hard for these guys to land, I, I am rooting hard for these guys to land. I love both their games. Then you've got Mark in Boston. He seems like he is poised to make this his best event ever. He seems like he's peaking at the right time. He's playing his best ball when it matters most. Given his run-up to the event, I've got high hopes that he can finally bring it on the big stage. Matt in Van. Tyler in Shredmonton are both back. Matt on a body of work. Tyler on a golden ticket. Damn glad to have them. But the story is the same this year as it was last year, as it was the year before that, and the year before that. It is time, fellas. It is time. You've got to dent that board. Hell, it's been time. It's past time. 
Let's get it done for the land, gents. Dan in Denver made his first appearance quite recently. He's in the smack off, and he's got some lines now. He's a dark horse. You've got Chael Sonnen, who threatened me with a lawsuit. You've got Ariel Helwani, a couple of co-workers who I really don't know what they're thinking or what they're going to do or if they're going to show up. Chael has already won this thing more than once. Ariel's got his ticket. I've got no read on what they're going to do, if anything at all. Iafrady, a legend's legend, a two-time champ. You know Iafrady. He always wants to show up. When he can, he does. He's a pretty busy dude. If he does show up, look the hell out. I'm telling you, that old guy can still win this thing. What's left of the golden ticket class that I haven't talked about yet is Chris in southeastern Wisco, Matt in L.A., and Paul's dog. Jeremy and Green Bay just got one. The only one I see making a deep run in their first main event, obviously, it's got to be the dog. Great flow, great energy, great lines, great pedigree. I like him. And finally, Mike in Indy. Different year, same story. Mike in Indy. Is Mike on a milk carton? Or is Jeff in Southfield? Who knows? Lots of theories. Many conspiracy theories. I haven't seen Mike. I haven't heard from Mike. Unless Mike is Jeff. And I personally don't think he is. But Alvin does. And so does Adam Hawk. Big Head does not think so. Right now. And we don't care about Rit. It's 2-2. And the new guy doesn't get a vote yet. Half of the XR4TI think that Mike and Indy is actually Jeff and Southfield, and half of us don't. Either way, I legitimately have no idea whatsoever if he's going to show on Friday. I do know this. Mike is on the short list for best callers in jungle history. I also know this. Mike thinks that Mike is the best caller in the history of the world. If he's there on Friday, if he shows up, we know he can win this damn thing. I know it. You know it. Most of all, Mikey knows it. And that's why I'm really hoping that he makes it a 13th straight year. Today I'm going to play a little game of show and tell. I'm going to show you all how great I am, and then I'm going to tell you about it. I know everybody's saying I'm responsible for the Left and Laguna rule, banning studio appearances, and that's true. I got that done. But it was to protect Rome against a psychopath like Rick and Buffalo. Rome doesn't exactly have a crew of ass kickers on the other side of that glass. You got Hawk who threw out his back putting on his shoes. Alvy would just hit the dude, dude, no, no sound bite, while Keith Arnold takes a hands-off approach just like he does every day at work. This guy works like he's got a guaranteed contract. I haven't seen him do a damn thing since he showed up. Are you kidding me, Left? Nice pre-recorded doctored-up call. Take out the gimmicks and that call sucks so bad it might have sucked another Southwest passenger out of airplane window. Mike and Indy. Who knows? These are your smack-off 27 storylines. I'm telling you, so much history, so much intrigue, so many possibilities. Can't wait for Friday. Can't wait. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkled donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but 
Nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms that your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Learn about these investment products and more at Investor.gov. Learn about these investment products and more at Investor.gov, your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. And we have a lot to get caught up on. Jake Olson is my guest. Jake, it's good to have you back on. How are you? <laughs> Thanks, Jim. That was, uh, that was quite the intro. I appreciate that. You got it, Jake. You earned it, my man. So you and I spoke <laughs> back in 2017, right after you made history and made your college debut in USC's win over Western Michigan, so that everybody can fully appreciate what you're working on right now, Jake. Can you take me back to that game? What do you remember most about it? I remember being really hot. <laughs> right. First game in September is any California or Southern California person will know it gets real hot in august and september and so it was super hot and uh i remember coach helton was was telling me i was probably gonna get in the second quarter um and then that game was just kind of a wild game and so it really was this this roller coaster of okay i'm in i'm on i'm in i'm not and then you know it, it happened to come on off of a pick six which was funny enough any specialist you know punter kicker well i guess not a punter but kicker holder and long snapper you know, we like to stay warm on the sideline. We like to get warmed up. And we like to know, hey, offense is driving. Let's get warmed up. There's probably going to be a field goal or PAT coming up. Well, that's not the case when there's a, you know, punt return or kickoff return or, or a defensive touchdown. So, literally, the defensive touchdown was like, oh, man, <laughs> at least I, this just came out of nowhere now. So, it was like one of the last things I wanted to actually happen, but it was all right. It was, it was, it was an awesome, awesome game and what a moment. Jake Olson joining us. It was an amazing moment. And I think as many people know, you had been a USC fan for years and connected to the program going way back. So as a refresher, what did it mean to you to finally make your debut for the Trojans? Well, I think that's one of the more special, I guess, pieces of it, Jim, is that, again, as a 12-year-old, I was adopted by Coach Carroll uh, in that USC team and the USC program. And really, after that college game day piece, all the sports nation and college football nation. And so, it was really special that people were able to support me then, pray for me then, you know, give out their, their love and, and support then, watch me grow up, and then here I was, you know, as an 18-year-old coming to SC, and everyone's like, oh, I remember that, you know, guy. I, I, I rooted him on. Like, I encouraged him back then. And then to see me, you know, have my career at USC and finally get that day in the Coliseum, I think it was just a pinnacle of all of our emotions of watching, again, me go blind and, and then overcome blindness and start living a normal life again and, and get back into sports and just the culmination of all that I think was really special for me and for everyone in that stadium and for everyone who, again who's been following my story all along. Jake Olson joining us so the story was so inspiring there was an avalanche of attention what were the next few days and weeks like for you after that game? Well it was really crazy I had to do this really crazy podcast with this guy named Jim Rumnick. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Wild, but no, it, it was it was uh, it was fun. I mean, it was it was obviously a lot of interviews. Um, again, because of the stories that had come up in the past, you know, I've made friends with people in the media, so it was, you know, just kind of good talking to people again, doing interviews, and um, you know, obviously from a request standpoint of speaking and, and appearances, that obviously increased, and that's where we kind of came up with this idea of, of engage as a platform where people could 
find a central way to one contact me because I'm sure, as you know too, Jim. Like when people try to contact you, it can come from left field, right field, anywhere. So it's like, how do how can people contact us where we know the person reaching out is number one legit and honest, um, and two that you know they 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 both for me and them can know that you know who they're reaching out to is is legitimate and me. Um, so. That's what we kind of really want to create and then have a central place where we, you know, manage those requests and keep those requests and can look back on those requests. And, again, there really wasn't a software or platform or anything out there that allowed us to really do that. So that's where the idea of Engage kind of came about. Jake, also my guest, I want to follow up on that. You are the co-founder and president of Engage. But before I follow you up on that, I want to ask you, like you had been doing public speaking before you arrived at USC. So what were the rules for you as it related to amateurism and the ability to profit off of your story then? Yeah, so actually because of a actually USC basketball player back in the day called Lil Romeo, there was called a double life rule in the NCAA guidelines. And that basically says if you were famous for something unrelated to obviously, you know, sports or college, uh, your college sport of, of choice or any college sport, really, um, if you're famous before then and you could continue to profit off of, you know, that endeavor. And so for Lil Romeo, he was a rapper. So again, playing college basketball had nothing to do with his rap career. So therefore he could continue to get paid to rap and et cetera. So for me, that was public speaking. You know, I spoke about, you know, battling cancer, about playing golf, about, um, you know, overcoming blindness, all that kind of good stuff. And so by the time I was playing college football, I could continue to speak on those topics. Now there was, you know, a fine line between, one, being marketed as a USC long snapper, USC college football player, college football player in general. I, they cannot do that. They cannot show up on a brochure. They cannot advertise that. Nothing of that sort. And two, you know, I couldn't hike up my rates, right? I couldn't all of a sudden charge double or triple the price because of, my newfound, you know, popularity in college football. So those were the, the two, two kind of caveats to that. But, again, the double life clause did allow me to continue to speak and appear because of what I was doing beforehand. Mm, Jake Olson joining us. It's really interesting, right? So what about your teammates at that time? What were your teammates able to do in terms of telling their stories and generating revenue off of them? Well, that's the thing. Nothing, because you know a lot of these these guys didn't have the the opportunity to do that before they got to college. So if you don't, you know, if you didn't have a, a real set standard of you going speaking, sharing your story, receiving revenue of doing that, you know, you can't start in college because then they would just assume that oh, the only reason you're starting is because your newfound you know popularity as as a college football player. And so that's what really frustrated me is that you know a lot of these guys, you know, my teammates, man, they they've come from hard backgrounds, they've lost parents, they've grown up in in broken homes and come from nothing and supporting people. And, you know, there's a lot of inspiration out there. And for me, I was like, you know, I, it's, it's awesome. I get to go share my story and shake hands, but these, these individuals should be allowed to as well. Um, and that's where I kind of was really, you know, really look at these rules and say, you know, are they, are they really necessary in that, in that regard? Because there's so many stories and so many opportunities for these, these players to meet fans, to inspire youth, um, to, to kind of do all that, that I think is really being missed because of kind of these arbitrary rules. Jake Olson joining us. We're covering a lot of ground as quickly as we can. Jake, i got to get your thoughts on this because it's been a topic for so long. As a former walk-on college athlete, what is your reaction when you hear people say that people who play sports in college already get enough compensation in the form of scholarships and an education and that that should be enough? Is it? No. So I always say this argument two things. One, if that's the case, then you already have it in balance in pay. If you're saying that education, room and board is already covered and that should be enough, then someone going to USC is being paid a heck of a lot more than someone who's going to some state school. You know, sometimes twice the amount in just one year, right? 
SC's expensive. Some other colleges are very expensive. So therefore, just based on that, you already have an unbalance in compensation there. Number two, if you think that you would work, if I asked you, Jim, if I have the per- person who is making that argument, if I said, hey, you're 40-hour week because going, playing sports, lifting, meetings, all that good stuff is a, another job. It's a 40-, 50-hour job on top of going to school. If I told you, hey, you can work for your job 40, 50 hours a week, and all that, you don't get paid, but you get guess what? Your kid gets to go to school for free. Would you take that? I don't think so. I don't think anyone in their right mind would say, yeah, I'm going to work a 40-hour week just so my kid, kid can go free to school. So there's, just, there's a lot of kind of putting that idea out when not considering what would you do if it was you? And, and when you ask that question to someone – Again, who's making that argument? I think a lot of times they're going to be like, okay, well, I guess no, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Jake Olson joining us. All right, so what about the changes in name, image, and likeness? How much do you think that's going to impact college sports? And then how does your company play a role in all of this? Well, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, one of the things that has been so cool is, especially when I was at USC and especially after, you know, people, when I would speak around the country or, or you know, be traveling, People come up to me, hey, I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. I hate USC, but I love your story. Hey, I'm a huge Ohio State fan. I hate USC, but I love your story. And it gives these personalities to follow. You know, every every great sport, you know, professional sport league does a lot better when you have personalities in it that connect with the fans that go beyond just team loyalty. And I think you're going to see a lot of that in college sports when these players actually get to meet fans, share their stories, kind of make and, and uh, capture those opportunities. Again, I kind of made this example. Someone may never care about women swimming in sport in, in college um, athletics, but if they know one of those women on that Cal swim team lost their mother and, and was raising money for for helping kids who who are wrote, are being raised in homes without a mom, all of a sudden you might care about that individual. You might watch that Cal swim team now, and so there's there's like opportunities really there to capture with individuals telling their story. Again, raising money through sweepstakes, which again kind of back to your second part of that question is what I feel like my company can do. We can help these individuals have a real platform, a structured ability to go out, raise money for charities that they want through cool sweepstakes. Again, field those requests that are honest and legitimate. So no one's just taking advantage of these athletes because trust me, this is going to be a real big market. And with every big market with a lot of money comes sharks that just want to take advantage of that. So we really want to kind of create an honest, legitimate means of, of people reaching out and, and participating and contacting these these now college athletes who may not have the experience to know if someone's just using them or not. Um, so again, for anything from sweepstakes, pop of events, um, engagements like speaking or just appearing, we can help in all of that. And so that's what I really want to do is is kind of connect those dots between the fans, people who follow the school, follow the sport, and those individuals now that who are going to really create a personality for themselves through their story. Um, to reach those fans. I like it. He's the co-founder and president of Engage, and that's where you want to go. Really quickly, Jake, before you go, I can't let you go without asking about your guide dog, Quebec. <laughs> How's Quebec? He's doing great. He's sleeping right here. He's uh, he's chugging along on June 29th. It will be our 10-year anniversary together. For those who don't know, what's he like? He is one of the most loyal dogs. He has huge separation anxiety. He's the just a slug of love, I call him. No one he's met has not fallen in love with him, and it's it's quite a shame because once you get to know him, you want to see him more than me. So it's it's, it's like, could Quebec come over? Oh, yeah, Jake, you can come over too. 
There you go. He's the co-founder and president of Engage, a former USC long snapper. Great, great story. Jake, great to have you back. You sound great. Appreciate the message. And thanks for coming back and doing it. All right. Thanks, Jim. Fine on. Keegan Bradley is my guest. Keegan, nice to have you back. How are you? Thanks, brother. Good to be back. Good to have you back. So you are back in Connecticut as well for the Travelers Championship this weekend. In the past, we've talked about what that tournament means to you. How good does it feel then to be back at a tourney where you finished second in 2019? It feels great. <clears throat> I love coming back to the Travelers. I'm from New England. I, it, it's, it very much feels like coming home. I, all my family, my friends get together. And it's just good to be here, and the Travelers does, does such an amazing job, and it's great to have fans back. You know, we, we went so long without fans, and having no fans, especially at this tournament, was, was a bummer. So it's good to have everybody back. You know, it seems kind of self-evident, but to that point, how much of a difference does it make, and how much of a difference do you notice when there are galleries and the fans are back on the course? It makes a big difference, especially for us players, especially when you're in the last handful of groups. There's a, there's a buzz, there's an energy Sometimes, you know, one putt, one loud cheer can kind of get you moving a little bit better, just like any other sport. Uh, but it's, especially at a court tournament like this, it's kind of known for loud and rowdy fans. It makes it for a much better tournament to, to play in, to watch, I would think. Keegan Bradley joining us, no doubt. Listen, I know you're thinking about this week, but if you were to go back two years, when you finished second, you had four straight rounds in the 60s. What do you remember about that week and that performance? Well, I just remember being super dialed in. And I and I was I, I putted really well the whole week, and I came out on Sunday with a I think I was five or six back, but I had I'd never played other than a Ryder Cup with a crowd so on my side as I had that day, and when I went out and was playing, it was just I felt kind of what it must have been like for Tiger and Phil every time they play. They're everybody's cheering for him, and I I felt it and I fed off it and it. it I used it to my advantage, and it's just, it was so fun. It was one of the more memorable weeks, even even from some of the wins, just because of the fans and how much fun it was. That is cool. Keegan Bradley joining us. So the field is expected to include the likes of Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, and more. I mean, it seems to me it would be pretty easy for a lot of guys to take the week off after the U.S. Open. So what is it about this tournament that attracts you and so many other elite players? Uh, it's the Travelers. And Andy and all the guys that run this tournament, they've the the, tra- the transformation this tournament's gone under. Even since I came out on tour, it it's turned into one of the premier events. And what they they just treat us players well. The course is great. Um, I think it's fun to come play in a market like this. Like a, we're coming to New England town. There's no golf up here really for uh, professionally. So it's an exciting place to come. And they just do an, an incredible job to of um, treating us players. You know, speaking of transformation, let me ask you this. Earlier this week, I was having a discussion with a guest about how different golf is now in 2021 as compared to 2008, the last time the U.S. Open was played at Torrey Pines. Kevin Streelman, who was the runner-up here last year, makes the point that, quote, the 50th player in the world today is a whole nother level than he was in 2008. Charlie Hoffman had a great point. He said, quote, the fields are deeper. Guys are hitting it a lot longer. They're drinking more water than beer. End of quote. So, like, how deep are these fields, and how competitive is the game right now? Well, I came out here in 2011, and I was just talking the other night about how much better all the players are. Like, when I first came out here, there was a, there was a contingent of, like, older guys that were out here, and they were playing good, making money, winning. There isn't that, that whole age group is gone out here on the tour, late 40s, mid to late 40s. 
those have been all replaced. And then there's these younger kids that every single young kid that comes out hits it has a 185 ball speed that pounds it. There isn't any guys that anymore that kind of play like a dink it out here and let's manage our game. It's let's hit it as hard as we can, and they're ready to go. And it's 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 mostly what I, I think from watching Tiger and these guys are just ready to ready to go. And it's so tough out here. Every single week is so tough. Keegan Bradley joining us. I can appreciate that response. So let me ask you this: How much of that that competition and that depth? How much of it is like size? power and driving distance and then how much of that is now about the mental side of the game well i think what you're seeing now is i think back in the day a lot of pga tour players all the only sport they could play was golf now you got guys like dustin brooks and these guys that are just athletes and i think that athletically they're able to hit it further i think the technology of TrackMan and being able to launch monitors to figure out the exact pinpoint this equipment to get it perfect before you'd hit a driver and you'd look and you go oh, that looks pretty good now you can go oh it's it's 200 rpms not enough spin we got to adjust it and i just think everyone's better so where are you at right now for instance you were top 20 at the pga championship this year and at wells fargo before that you were right in the thick of it on sunday at the vows bar what have the last couple of months been like for you They've been great. I, you know, I, I feel I hold myself to a level of play out here, and when I'm not playing to that level, it's a bummer. I get pissed. So I, you know, I to 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 have a chance to be back up here for us making the tour championship is such a big deal because it gets you in all the majors, all the WGCs. Not to mention you got a shot at winning 15 million. Um, that but doesn't that's suck. A, that's a goal for for everybody on the tour each year, and I'm 35th or 36th on the list, so I'm I'm top 30 get in. So. Right now, I'm, um, there's a major push. we got to get to that tour championship. So, Keegan, let me ask you this. It's like you get to a certain point in your life where things change and we all evolve, and you try to find balance, and you try and find that competitive edge and that balance. You were making the point that when you shot that opening round 64 at the Valspar, you said the best part of the day was actually hanging out with your wife and your kids after the round. So when you're looking for that balance, how much joy does that bring you to be around your family? Well, you know, when I first came out on tour, I had no clue what having family was like, and I had no idea how amazing it would be. And I had one thing on my mind, and that was shoot the lowest score. And I think when I'm in contention, when my family is out, it's such an advantage I have over these over other players that don't have families because I have a two o'clock tea time as opposed to sitting around waiting all day. My my son Logan or Cooper, my youngest, they don't care that I'm. But they want to go play with with some trucks or play Captain America or you know run around and it really keeps my mind off of what I'm doing and I always feel like when they're around good things are going to happen. That's cool. Let me ask you this really quickly. You're a big sports fan, obviously, and you know the thing about golf is there's nobody for you to pass the ball to. Like yes, you have a caddy. Yes, that's an important role. But in a lot of respects, this is not a team sport. It's on you. It's all on you. Nobody can bail you out. Is that something you love about the game, or is that something that can kind of beat you down and be exhausting about the game? Well, beat you down for sure. I. I I when you when you have success, there's no one else. It's you. But when you're down, you can't pass the ball. I I watching these NBA playoffs. These guys are going to the line and they can't make a free throw, and that's where they can't pass it. And that's what we are dealing with every shot. You know, every shot coming down the stretches, we're at the line with everyone staring at us, and there is no one else to help. And I I enjoy watching that because that's that's really what it's like. You know, we're 
we're we're at the line with no time left and everyone's staring at you and you got to <clears throat> make this shot and this your teammate or your caddy no one's going to no one can help you make that shot and that's that's kind of how I equate it to is you're you're at the line with no one around so like you're focused on yourself and your thing. I get that. Like there's some guys like you know how it is in some sports. There are guys that want that ball so badly. They want that shot. They want to be at the plate. They want the baseball in their hand. When you see John Rom knock in, rolling those two putts that he did to win the way he did last weekend, what kind of thoughts do you have? Man, he's he's just he's got it. You know, there's certain there's certain athletes and certainly in golf, there's certain guys who have it, and you just know it right away. I played with John when he was an amateur at uh, Phoenix, it, you know, before he had ter- even turned pro. And I played with uh, Brant Snedeker, and we both were like, all right, this we're going to see a lot of this guy over the next 20 years. And, you know, there's certain players that, you know, they just they can make that putt or they can hit that fairway on 18. You know, and there's some guys that can't. It's great players, too. And, you know, John Rahm... Watching him, honestly, watching him do that, it's it gets you excited to to go out and practice golf and play. Because anybody, you you know, golf, you play your way anywhere. You know, there's no one going to put you in the game. Like you got to do it yourself. And watching him do that, it's motivating. I think for everybody out here. Keegan, finally, I think that's fascinating what you just said. That there are pros. There are pros that can do it, and there are pros that frankly can't do it. What's the difference between those who can and can't? Is it learned? Are they wired for it? Can you learn it if you can't do it? Well, I think you certainly can work hard. I, everybody, all these young kids that want to play on the tour, they ask me what to do. I say you got to work twice as hard as everybody. That's, that's basically what I had to do. I grew up in Vermont with winter, too, so I had you know, five to, four to five months of no golf. So when I had a chance to, I had to... I felt like when I was not working, somebody was, and I was getting worse because of it. And then there's that factor of, all right, you know, who who can who can grit their teeth and do this? And and I think in golf, it could, it's arguably harder than any other sport because in basketball, football, baseball, you can try harder and play better. In golf, you cannot do that. You'll play 50 times worse. You gotta, you, you know, you're it's not reactionary. You're thinking between each shot and. You know, I think there's a, certainly an aspect of working hard to where you get into situations that you've practiced. But then there's that there's that other part of like, hey, you can do this and let's do it. And the guys you see on TV on Sunday late, those are the boys that can do it. In other words, like the one of the hardest things is to try easier. It's a really difficult right. thing, right? Yes, so, it's, I I say to basketball players, it, it aside from the the free throw thing is. You have to take the ball. You have to inbounds the ball. You have to. You're going to have to hit a three. You got to walk down to the three point line, stop, dribble a few times, and shoot it. There's no. Here's the ball. Pass it. Shoot. It's. You know. There's a lot of. There's a lot of downtime in golf, and that can be sometimes the toughest. Well, finally, King, like, like to that point, it's kind of like when you had that triple bogey on 15 on Sunday. And then you come back with that amazing drive on 16. You had to make that walk from the 15th green to the 16th tee. Is that not what you're talking about? And exactly what did you tell yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's, that walk from 15 green to 16 tee was the biggest moment of my career. And I, and I had no idea at the time. But I, just, I kept telling myself over and over in my head, don't let that define you here in this tournament. Like, let's, we've, played, we've played for a week here. And... I just wanted to hit one good drive, and that's sort of what you have to do because 
you can't in golf you can't think all right i got to birdie this hole and this hole it's like all right let's take one step here let's hit this fairway let's hit this good shot here and like you said you got to try less you got to let it come to you more than any other sport he is a PGA champ. He is a four-time winner on the PGA Tour, a two-time member of the Ryder Cup team. My man, it is so good to get caught up with you and have that conversation. It is a big event. It gets underway tomorrow at TPC River Highlands. I'm talking about the Travelers Championship. Keegan, great to have you back. Good luck Thanks, this week, boy. and always good to talk to you, my man. Go Pats. Will in Milton. What's going on, Will? Not a whole lot, Jim. I appreciate you taking my call, and I do understand your apprehension at taking my previous invitation. I thought I'd propose something that you might feel just a little bit more comfortable with. Would you invite me to Eagle River? We'll walk to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard. I could meet your neighbors, too. You'll drink Bombay liquor. I'll drink Mountain Dew. Romy, Romy, tell me, Jim Romy, will you invite me to Eagle River? That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Creepy much? No, dude. John in Little Rock wants to weigh in. He is an OG. John, what's going on, brother? What's up, brother? This is to that guy who just tried to serenade you. That song that he sang, it sucks so good. No one will bump that in the hood. Why would you call? You're not Gorilla Balls. Now you must fall in front of us all. That song that he sang, it sucks so good. No one will crank that in the hood. Why would you call? You're not Gorilla Balls. Now you must fall in front of us all. James in Tucson. <laughs> James, what's going on with you? Well, I mean, what's up, brother? What's hey, up, dude? I am freaking pumped, man. I'm, I'm actually here. I appreciate the real estate. I got a... I got a little shout out. We're getting some clones together here in Tucson at a place called Tap and Bottle on uh, Oracle Road, 7254 North Oracle Road. Uh, they're going to open up a little bit early. They're going to have some local burritos and brew for the smack off. It's a, it's a local establishment, and uh, they've been doing it for a few years now. So it's going to be awesome to have everybody out there. All you Tucson clones, if you guys want to. Pop on by, have a couple pops with uh, me and a few of the other guys there. So it would be good to see everybody. Uh, Ward Jeremiah down in the Long Beach Docks. Ward Matt and Van and Tyler and Edmondson. I'm out. My man, James, thank you very much for saying so. All right, so he just said there's going to be a watch party. Tap and bottle in Tucson. Tap and bottle in Tucson. Bacon, what's up, dude? Hey, Jim. Really appreciate the airtime. Thank you, sir. You got it. So for those who do not know, talk to me about the post-show, the recap show. What goes down? How long have you guys have done this, and where can they find it? Right. So post-smack-off show, right at the top of the hour, right after the, uh, the smack-off. It's going to be you know 3 p.m. Eastern. It's our 13th annual, so we just want to keep the party going. What you need to do is just go to stucknut.com, the homepage, and you'll have a direct link right there. We broadcast it through Twitch and also through uh, YouTube. And there's going to be a live chat as well, so if you want a live chat, you have to sign into Twitch. But all you got to do, go to stucknut.com homepage. It's right there. 
we've been doing this for 13 years, and uh, that's basically it. Oh, dude, I love that. That's a big number. 13 years, you guys are not playing. You've got various platforms. So who calls into this generally? Well, generally, we want the clones to call in. We want their reaction. But at the same time, we're also going to get, you know, the smack-off participants calling in. I mean, last year we had Cablin Asian. We had Caleb, Sarah T, Mike, and Indy. We even had the champ, Lef, uh, Lef in Laguna, last year. So you never know what you're going to get. We really want to get the clones that don't usually call in. We give them a voice, and we'll do this for a couple hours as long as we can. Okay, you say you normally don't know what you're going to get, when in reality you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get Mike and Indy complaining that he got robbed. Pretty much, and we try to keep him under about 15 minutes for his call. <laughs> All right, so how long? What's the longest version, the longest recap show you guys have done? Last year was the longest show. It went four hours and 20 minutes. We took about 33 calls. I love it. I love it. So really quickly, again, Bacon, if they want to listen or they want to participate or both, how do they do so? Just go to stucknut.com. There's a direct link right there. If you're on Twitch, if you have a Twitch account, if you've done that uh, 33 character password and all the rest of it, go to Twitch link and look for Stucknut or uh, go to YouTube and uh, it'll be live on YouTube. Look for Stucknut there. But the easiest way, just go to stucknut.com. The direct link is right there and we'll take it from there. Listen, I, I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for everything you've done for the show and especially on that day. Let me finally ask you, you know, you sound great. You're coming off really, really well today. How about Pool Doc? I mean, you got to admit, he did murder his segment last year. Why is he not calling in? Well, actually, Steve called last year. Pool Doc called in two years right. ago. Uh, Pool Doc just wasn't available this year. Uh, I got to hand it to him, though. He did hand me over his oxygen tank, so I just took a couple of hits off the O2. Oh, so that's why I'm doing really good. So, nice but job. again, really appreciate the airtime. Good luck to all the callers. Um, have a good time on your vacation. We'll see you when you get back, and we'll see everybody on Friday. You got it, Bacon. Nice job. Headstrong Bacon from the D. He, Doc, and Steve run that thing. So they do a stuck nut post-smack-off show, and it ran more than four hours last year. And not only did the clones call in and react accordingly, he says a number of the smack-off participants, including the champ, call in and talk about that. And now more important than ever, because I'm not going to be here on that Monday. Hard to work his way in. This may be his last bid. Let's find out. CJ, what's up? Very true story. Yesterday, my girl asked me, why do you do this? Talking negatively about other people not like you. I went on my phone. I found a picture of Brad in his underpants, and I showed her. And I swear this was her reaction. <laughs> That's disgusting. Don't ever show me that again. I went to four female coworkers who have followed my calls, and they just looked really uncomfortable and went with, wow, this is what you're dealing with? Bringing me to serious questions for Brad and Lef. We had Benifer, we had J-Rod. Now the jungle gives us breath. I have dragged these dudes through the mud and crickets. No response. You are cowards. Never in my life have I let anyone say the things I say about you and not crush the guy. To everyone in the jungle, Brad and Lef are elitist and they think they're better than you. I'm going to check breath for the everyman, the D-Rods, the Scott Bobs, the Marios, Bay Love, yo, 925. Creepy Brad is 46. Yo, CB46, I have real questions I want you to address. Do your kids hate you yet? I hope the prize money is enough to cover the mental health expenses in your family's future. To be a kid, having to explain to your peers why dad is spreading softcore man porn across the web will not be easy. Ah. That's not a good call. No. 
Here's the thing, CJ. Like I don't like that call. Not a very good call. It's not a terrible call, but I knew Jeremy in Green Bay bidding for a golden ticket. Jeremy, how are you? Jim, I'm doing good. Hey, CJ, why don't you fight in your weight class and go back to fighting with the plumber? Hey, shout out to store brand Hawk in the back row. Welcome to the party, pal. And Jim, I figured out why Rick and Buffalo always sound so angry. It's because all the kids in school used to bully and beat them up. Rick, school's been out for a couple weeks now. Time to put it behind you, big guy. But I kind of side with your students here, Ricky, because if my foot could talk, it'd say, may I kindly go up this geek's ass. And Rick, if Buffalo is a shiny city on a hill, it's only because the sun is reflecting off the gases emanating from that landfill of a stadium near Orchard Park. And memo to the mafia morons, stop calling that a rainbow. The city, of, the city motto of Buffalo ought to be changed to give me liberty or give me mess. And when the Statue of Liberty cries out, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. She's talking directly to you, Buffalo. Now, Jimmy, I can feel Grandpa Joe getting ready to circle the wagons, so why don't we cement this thing? And since tandem calls are all the rage and the smack-off, I'm going for the first-ever tandem call to get into the smack-off. So without further ado, we go live to a former smack-off champ, a champion of local politics, HB's own Silk Bra. Silk, are you there? Hey, Jeremy. How you doing, buddy? Good, Silk. What's up, Bra? Hey, it's good to be on with the people's champ of Wisconsin. Hey, if the smack-off ever took Zoom calls, would Cal in Vegas be the peewee tubin of the jungle? And another thing I was wondering, if Jay Stu opened up an overpriced burger joint, would he call it 10 guys? Come on. Bro, you're the freaking go to one-liners. Let's do this. Fake silk. Come on. It's the best silk. Come on. Jim, anything these smack-off callers can do, I can do better. So let's throw a wild card into the smack-off field two days out. Because I don't want my golden ticket back. I want all the golden tickets, Jimmy. Let's go to Dan in Denver. What's going on, Dan? Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeremy. More of fake silk and less of you. That's what's good for the show. And, Rome, did you see ESPN's going to start broadcasting cornhole? Yeah, I don't really see how this is a sport, considering it's a bunch of overweight guys eating, drinking, and dipping while playing it. Although now that I think about it, they've been broadcasting baseball players doing that for years. Jimmy, I'm all for a little fun in my sports, but when instead of a coin toss, you're playing spin the beer bottle and your national anthem is just a bunch of frat bros yelling chug, 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 I just can't get with it. Rome, I love that this league is called the American Cornhole League, a.k.a. the ACL, a.k.a. what these booze hounds tear when they bend over trying to pick up a beanbag. So let's see, they've got cornhole on during the day baseball in the evening, and poker at night. Jimmy, the only poker I want to see at night is the one where Caleb rearranges the bunny ears on his TV to try to pick up the Playboy channel. I mean, who's broadcasting this garbage? Chael Sonnen? Romy, I saw that he just signed an extension with ESPN, and I know sure as hell it isn't going to be broadcast in fighting. Hey, Chael, how do you go from calling yourself the bad guy to threatening litigation because you can't participate in an insult competition? Two thoughts on Chael's tweet, Jim. Either one, this is a ruse and he's going to appear in someone else's call, which he's done twice before, or two, he's a dumbass, which he's been his whole life. Chael, you aren't banned, bro. You just aren't good at this anymore. It'd be like you saying you're banned from winning MMA fights. Jimmy, I thought it was embarrassing when Chael got choked out by Tito Ortiz. 
but I'm pretty sure he'd get choked out by silk bra because both of you bitches have the same body and both of you lost to Tito Ortiz. Finally, Jim, I appreciate the invite again for the smack off. Jimmy, I might not be the best, but in 2019, on the biggest stage, on the most important show of the year, I delivered my best call and hit the board. And that's more than Jeff in Southfield, Tyler in Edmonton, Matt in Van, or Cal in Vegas can say. So, Jimmy, I'm going to see you on Friday, and none of these bitches are safe. My man, Dan in Denver, you know what you got to do now, Alvin? Rack him. He's good. Rack him! Dan's good. Bobby in Brooklyn, allegedly, reportedly, apparently, maybe. Bobby, what's going on? Jim, my man, what's happening, brother? Dude, I think it really is you. Is it? Jim, it's me, my man. Bobby, what's going on? Where have you been for the last two decades? Jim, I've just been doing my thing, man. Doing my thing in Brooklyn. But listen, Jim, it's been 21 years since my last call, and it's been 25 years since my first call to the jungle, Jim. And that first call, man, you guys were talking about rats and the Florida Panthers and what are they going to do. And I set it up, man. I told you what we used to do with the rats in the warehouse that I worked in back on the docks in Brooklyn. All legit, all straight up, all true, my man. So after that call, Jim, you told me, you said, Bobo, anytime you can call this show. Anytime. Jim, today is a good day as any to be anytime. And you know what, Jim? Tomorrow is a good day to be any time. And Friday is a good day to be any freaking time. I will run it from wire to wire, Jim. The only problem I see, Jim, is one, I haven't been watching much much sports lately, my brother. I'll be straight with you. But I'm sure I'm going to be able to figure that out. And problem number two, my man, back then we had a four-hour show. And you let me run the whole segment. And that smack off, you let me go from wire to wire, and I was cruising. Now, we got a three-hour show, so I don't know how we're gonna, how you're going to get me a segment, Jim. Maybe I'll just start off in the beginning of the show and take it right to the end. Let's go right through commercial breaks. I ain't going to stop, and I'll finish it strong, and I'll be in that winner's circle waiting for you, my man. Now, the only other thing I got to say, Jim, is it's been a while. And I appreciate everything. Even that last 1998 smack-off call when you inadvertently watched Steve Harvey and gave it to my man Carbone, that's all cool. No problem. I don't mind coming in second to Stevie. I know he was running around taking calls, making calls, and it must have been crazy there. But I'm ready to go, Jim. I will catch you soon. Thank you again. It was good catching up, and I will catch you later, my man. Out. My dude, Bobby in Brooklyn. First off, that was him. That was 100% him. Good night now!